Thank you to our puppet team for that. We'll have uh, an introduction every week with them, so appreciate their, their work with that. Good morning. Um, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, I, in fact, I think I ate so much that I decided to quit cold turkey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This week we do begin a four-week uh, sermon series uh, on Advent and leading up to Christmas. I've decided this year to focus on the Gospel of Matthew, looking at Jesus' birth in his Gospel from four different angles from chapter 1 and 2. And today the puppets help set up the first angle, which is a look at Jesus' ancestors and why they're important. Matthew's the only one who gives us gene Jesus' genealogy prior to the discussion of his birth, and we're going to talk about why that might be the case today. Uh, I'm going to read the passage in Matthew chapter 1. It's probably, some would argue, uh, one of the most boring passages uh, in the Gospels, a list of begats and son of this and son of this person and that person, but I would argue it's probably, as you'll hopefully understand today, it's probably one of the most profound <clears throat> statements uh, regarding Jesus' birth that we have. So let me, if you bear with me, let me read this passage. I'll try to stumble over the hard names as we go through this presentation of Jesus' genealogy, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Sarah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Elikam. Elikam, the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. <clears throat> you know, 
Matthew introduces us to Jesus, obviously, very uniquely and in a way unfamiliar to us in our modern Western culture. We don't usually announce the birth of a baby by listing all the baby's relatives back 42 generations. Well, that's because Matthew was a first century Jew, and we're not. And as a Jew, the genealogy of Jesus is extremely important especially if you say he's the promised Messiah. Matthew, you see, was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus writing to other Jews about Jesus in his gospel whom he claims fulfilled the promise of the coming Messiah, Jewish Messiah. So just to give you a context here, Matthew's Jewish writer presenting to Jewish hearers and readers confirming and affirming and arguing that Jesus is the promised Jewish Messiah. The overall theme of Matthew's Matthew's gospel is the kingdom of God. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but you should know that, because when Jesus begins his ministry, first words out of his mouth in Matthew chapter 4 is, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Writing to a Jewish audience... Matthew presents Jesus as the long-awaited promised Messiah who would defeat Israel's enemies and reign as king on David's throne. Matthew's gospel is about the arrival of God's kingdom because Jesus the king has been born. That's his argument. Matthew mentions the kingdom of God 55 times in in his gospel. He mentions that Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom on three different occasions through his gospel. And let me just stop here for a little note. Uh, And many of you know this. the, the, The gospel is not good advice. It's good news. Uh, to give you an illustration of that, and, and the importance of what Jesus is saying, the God, he's announcing the gospel. I'm not giving you advice. I'm announcing something. And so, for instance, if a foreign army invaded our town of Elmhurst, uh, we would probably need some military help to come in, maybe some military advisors and help us uh, tell us what to do to protect ourselves. Do this, don't do that. That's why we send military advisors in. But if a foreign invasion came into our town and instead we had a military who already defeated them before they even got here, then you no longer need military advisors. You need messengers to go through the town and throughout the area and announce the battle's been won. Relax. We defeated the enemy. That's the gospel. In the gospels, beginning with Matthew, God doesn't send military advisors. You know who he sends? Angelos, angels, messengers. They're not dispensing advice. They're announcing good news. The king is here. The kingdom of God has begun right now. So in Matthew, the birth of Jesus the Messiah is synonymous in Matthew's presentation with the arrival of God's kingdom. And to his Jewish readers, Matthew presents his case that Jesus fits all the prophetic qualifications of the promised Messiah to the Jews who would reign as king. So right away from verse 1, he makes his case 
that Jesus is the promised Messiah by presenting the most important document in Jewish culture. In ancient Jewish culture, a person's identity and authority and credentials were established by their genealogy. Their role in Israel was established by their genealogy. Jesus' genealogy means that his birth is not a fairy tale. It's rooted in historical fact. Here's the father of this person, this person, we can trace it right down. Actual people who actually lived, Jesus is not a fairy tale. It's historical fact. And if you notice, as we went through the genealogy, He starts out with emphasizing the word son. Verse 1, this is the son of David, the son of Abraham. And I believe Matthew is just bringing forward the Old Testament expectation of a son who is identified as Messiah. For instance, in Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So here's the deal. This is why this is important here. <clears throat> a Jewish genealogy was somewhat like our resume. Your credentials. Our resume would include, for us, something about our background, our personal information, and reflect the credentials or the skills we had to serve in certain capacities. That's how a Jewish genealogy functioned. This was Jesus' resume. Uh, Who's your father? Abraham. Oh, then you're a Jew. Uh, What tribe are you from? Judah. Oh, that's the royal line. Uh, What family are you part of? David's family. Oh, well, you're in direct line to be king. That's right. How do you like my resume? So in the Jewish culture, your significance came from your descendants. And in a very clever way, Matthew anticipates Jesus' virgin birth, because that can kind of mess up the genealogy, right? (laughs) Wait a second. We just had a kind of a break. Uh, In a very clever way, Matthew anticipates Jesus' virgin birth before he even gets there. In the genealogy, when he says that Joseph was the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father. He was his adopted father. Legally, Jesus was born in the lines of the kings of Judah through his adoptive father, Joseph, who was of the family of David, through David's son, Solomon. Matthew 1.6, Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. So in just a side note, uh, Jesus was born biologically in the lines of the kings of Judah through his birth mother Mary, we see in Luke chapter 3, who was also of the family of David by virtue of David's other son, Nathan. So we've got biological and legal rights to the throne in both parents. This is important because the prophecies tell us that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah 
in the family of David. I'll just give you a few verses here on that. Genesis 49.10, the prophecy of Messiah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, Messiah, and to him shall the obedience be the obedience of the people. In 1 Kings 2, verse 45, uh, but King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, I just read 6, there will be no end to the increase of his government or peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. But now, there's something very odd about Jesus' genealogy, you see. Just think of your resume for a second, see. What you're going to do if you, wanna, you want the job you're, you're looking for uh, is you're going to try to make a great impression with your resume. Put all your best qualities forward. All the best stuff. To, uh, you're going to avoid, you're going to try to avoid putting down anything that might embarrass you or be discrediting. Well, the same is true in these ancient genealogies. <clears throat> but you can easily monkey with your resume. You can kind of slide over bad parts, uh, firings, <laughs> somehow figure out how to soften the blow so it looks good. Well, the same was true in these ancient genealogies. Um, they conveniently could leave out the bad parts. Matthew doesn't do that. Uh, we know, for instance, that King Herod, we've got his genealogy, he, he purged the names of descendants he didn't want known about him. But here Matthew includes the rich, the famous, the powerful, and also the potential embarrassments in an ancient resume, in an ancient genealogy. Most would have avoided what Matthew does here. Here's what Matthew includes that would have been discredited, uh, would, have, would have actually discredited a person in an, in an ancient genealogy, Jewish genealogy. Well, he includes the names of women. Rahab, Tamar, Ruth, the wife of Uriah. He includes the names of Gentiles in Jesus' line. The Canaanites and Moabites and Hittites. This is unheard of. He includes the names of moral failures in Jesus' genealogy. Prostitutes, adulterers, incestuous people. Here's the significance, I believe, of what Matthew's doing, of these unexpected names in, in Jesus' genealogy. The kingdom of God which the gospel is all, Matthew is all about, is announcing a gospel of grace, beginning with who Jesus chooses to identify himself with. Jesus' genealogy includes people who were outsiders, racial and moral outsiders, failures in life, I, I'm not going to take the time to go through, through, search it out yourself. I mean, it's pretty plain, and you probably already know most of it. And the fact is, the law of Moses, 
first five books, would have prevented some of these people in Jesus' genealogy from coming into the temple to worship God. They wouldn't have been allowed. But Jesus, you see, is owning them. He is bringing them in. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of God's kingdom. But listen to me. There's so much more going on in here. Uh, I don't even have time to cover it all. But I want to zero in on one thing I think you might find interesting related to the gospel of grace. And and Jesus... uh, reign as king. I want to zero in on one, coming down to the end here, one uh, very odd statement and try to uh, pull it apart a little bit to see some insight here. And I have to, I have to actually correct um, the English translators uh, basically are trying to take these things and make them readable, understandable for an English-speaking audience. I'm going to show you what the English translation of verse 6 is. And then the next slide, I'm going to show you what it literally says in the Greek, and I'll then make an observation. Here's what verse 6 says in Matthew chapter 1. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. That's what the English translations say, and there's nothing wrong with it. They're just filling in the, the gaps. But here's what it actually says in, the little, in Greek. It doesn't include Bathsheba's name. Here's what it says. David was the father of Solomon from her who was of Uriah. Now, obviously, you understand the English translator would want to fill in, well, that was Bathsheba, right? Okay. So, he intentionally, though, Matthew, I believe, wants us to focus on Uriah. And I'm going to explain why. I think it's very interesting. Matthew avoids identifying her name, her by name, even though the readers know who he's talking about. Let me test you. Can you finish this phrase? Bathsheba was first married to Uriah the Hittite. Oh, that's why he's focusing on Uriah. Well, no best who, who the wife is. But have we understood this a little bit further? Um, Bathsheba was a Hittite, married to another Hittite. You know what Hittites were? Gentiles. By the time Bathsheba bore Solomon... She was David's wife, but by reminding his readers of Uriah, her first husband, Matthew stresses Bathsheba's origin, Gentile. Solomon had a Jewish father and a Gentile mother. And Uriah, by the way, from what we know today in in archaeological studies, Uriah was not just any Hittite. According to Israeli archaeologist Eliot Mazar and other scholars, Uriah the Hittite was a Canaanite prince. And having the child Solomon by his wife would mean that Jesus came from a Gentile line of royalty and 
a Jewish line of royalty. Here's what scholar Sandra Glan summarized about that point. She says, whereas in all the past, in the past, all pedigrees of royalty in Israel stressed only a king's Jewishness via his male ancestors, this pedigree not only includes women, but requires women in order to establish Jesus as simultaneously the king who sits on David's throne the ruler, and the ruler of all nations, king of kings, lord of lords, Jew or Gentile. To me, that's profound what Matthew's doing here. But you get it because he helps focus our attention, you see, on this one name. There are many such things in this this short 16 verses. It's, it's incredible in my mind. Matthew is trying to say in this odd statement that in, in the genealogy of Jesus, that Je Jesus not only has the credentials of the promised Jewish Messiah, Jesus is not only the rightful heir to the throne of David, Jesus is the rightful heir to all thrones, Jew and Gentile. And Jesus proclaims the gospel of the kingdom, which is the gospel of grace. And here's the deal. In God's kingdom, your pedigree doesn't matter. Your race doesn't matter. What matters, you know what matters? You're standing with Jesus the Messiah. That's what matters. Your relationship to him is the only thing that counts in God's kingdom. So in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, prostitutes and kings sit down as equals at the cross. This is very important for us to understand, and it's why Matthew puts it here before we ever get to the content of the gospel of the kingdom and Jesus' preaching of it. This is where it begins. Do you realize the honor of coming to faith in Jesus Christ? whoever you are. As I, I said, I mentioned this verse last week. I'm going to mention it again. If you come to faith in Jesus, he is not, I don't care who you are, he's not ashamed to call you a brother or a sister. Hebrews 2, 11 to 13. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. You see, <clears throat> Jesus' values are much different from the world's. What we look at as credentials and achievements and worthiness uh, is that what Jesus uses? And in his genealogy, he's welcoming the outcasts, embarrassments, and failures. And what I would say to that is, his values should be manifest in his body, the church, with how we treat one another, as well as we, how we treat other people who are outsiders. And it's incumbent upon us to tell them the gospel is, is an announcement. It's a, it's, 
It's an invitation. Come to faith in Jesus. You'll be welcomed in the kingdom of God. We treat each other on the basis of our relationship to Jesus. Matthew announces that a son is given to us. And that is Jesus, God's anointed Messiah and King. Matthew announces the good news of God's kingdom. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, come to Jesus. He will receive you and save you. One last thing I would say, and I think it's important. As you read the New Testament, uh, you need to realize Jesus' genealogy is the last one. in the line of Davidic rights to the throne. We don't have any more. That's it. <laughs> you know why? There's no need for any others. He's it. We don't have a genealogy for Peter. We don't have a genealogy for Paul. We don't have a genealogy for any of the apostles or Caiaphas or any other high priest. None. Zero. Well, we have his as confirmation. That's the promised one. All right. All right. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And guess what? He came for you and for me. And he waits for you to come to him and believe and be received into God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the gospel, which is so incredible, so exciting, uh, that we're, you've made us a part of it, not as anything more really than announcers, as ambassadors for the grace that you came to give us, because you accomplished and finished the work that was necessary on our behalf. You took care of the penalty for our sin. You became a curse for us so we might receive the righteousness of God and be welcomed as children of God. And so, Lord, help us today. If we've never believed in Jesus, pray that you'd help us to really receive and believe in the one who was sent for, on our, for us and that we would receive and experience the salvation that is found only in him. And if we do know you, I pray that you would burn in us, uh, rekindle a, a passion and desire with this incredible news and incredible event that has taken place. Give us uh, boldness in speech uh, to be your messengers throughout our realm, our area, that you have accomplished the victory on our behalf the gospel. So we celebrate that today, Father, and I praise you and thank you for the good news uh, that the King has been born, and we can be born again through faith in him. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.